knocked the garbage over and he got its head stuck in a jar. You weren't home, so I put it in there. I certainly didn't think you'd want to find it like that. I did not want to stink the place up. I was going to show you. You couldn't call or write a note. I was busy pushing bodies around, as you well know. And what would a note say, Dan? Cat dead. Details later. Lights, camera, action. Welcome back to another episode of Happy Hour Films. As you all know, I am Ross Bacon. I'm joined by my co-host, Mike McGuigan. Mike, say hi. How's everyone doing? And as you should know by now, we're a podcast with beer and movies and other things. And ah, to hell with it. Let's just get going. Uh, so this month, the month of August, uh, we are going to be discussing some cult classics. And uh, tonight, I think we got some great ones. We're going to be talking about Ginger Snaps. Um, we're going to talk about Reanimator. And then we're going to be talking about the legendary Sleepaway Camp. That's, and... and- Going into this, I kind of, like, when I looked at the whole schedule, I was like, is this the weakest week of Cult Classics Month? It might be, but it's still got, like, I'm like, (laughs) I'm going through it, and I'm like, wait, these three movies are all kind of awesome. These fucking movies rule, and it's like, if anything, I would say the weakest one is the, well, cult, like, actual movie the weakest one is probably Sleepaway Camp, yeah. <laughs> if you go by quality. <laughs> yeah. But the the way the reason why that one is number one for this week is purely the ending. But we'll get to it. Um, so yeah, so honest, some of the kills are pretty awesome, and it, like the actual oh, yeah. effects of the kills are pretty awesome. Yeah. So Ginger Snap for Animator and uh, Sleepaway Camp. But before we do that, we got to discuss what we're drinking. So Mike, what we got? All right. So I have a collaboration with Bolero Snort and Icarus Brewing. All right. And it is, it looks like it's in like, the can art looks like it's like on a lake with a full moon. And I'm like, this looks appropriate. It has an ominous sign and it's called Why Kick a Moo Cow? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) (laughs) It's an Imperial IPA. Uh, 8%, so we're on the stronger side. I haven't gone on the stronger side in a while, but... Heavy! Heavy beer! I did not instantly get kicked with the hops of an IPA. Oh, yeah? Yeah? Pleasantly surprised. Nice. Um, It almost tastes like an IPA, like a weird hybrid of an IPA, a wheat beer, and like a slight hint of the fruit of a sour. (laughs) Okay. I gotcha. All right. Yeah. All right. So on the other hand, since it is a new month, uh, I have received four new beers from my Malt of the Earth um, uh, monthly beer club. And um, yes, my lovely wife, you haven't listened, my lovely wife, uh, Carrie, got me a beer of the month club for like three or four months, something like that. And every month they send me four beers from two different breweries, two, two beers each. This, the last time, it was like Kansas City, Missouri and Salt Lake City, Utah. This time, on the other hand, I have, I'm going to save the Oklahoma City one for next week. But one of them, the other the other brewery from this week is Dewclaw Brewing, which is actually in Baltimore, Maryland. <laughs> so that's like the local one. And two of these and their two beers uh, thematically fit with two of the movies that we're going to be talking about. And... The first of which that I'm drinking is called Misfit Red, and it's an American red ale. And if you've seen Ginger Snaps, you know that it's Canadian werewolf t- turning red. 
when Ginger gets her period, <laughs> things things kind of go insane for her. She just happens to run across a foul of a werewolf at the same time. But yeah. <laughs> so Misfit Red, it's American Red Ale. It's five percent and it's delicious. It's it's a very delicious, like dark. It's a very dark red ale too, and it's um very good, very smooth, very good. And um, the other one's gonna fit with sleepaway camps. And it's actually weird because there's another brewery that's doing a similar beer um that hopefully i'll be having in a couple weeks uh, so if you've paid attention to what things i say about my schedule and vacations and whatnot you'll know what the brewery is that is but uh we'll bring up when we get to it because i don't i want to know if it's a theme across craft brewing uh for sour ales when uh, for the summer but um yeah mr red do club brewing very good so we got to get into ginger snatch from 2000 directed by john fawcett who is one of the creators of the show orphan black which um I think there's one actor from that in this. And then in the sequel, there's a couple more. And Tatiana Maslany, who plays uh, all of the clones in Orphan Black, actually shows up in one of the sequels. But, um, yep, this is the uh, the werewolf turning red. <laughs> all right. So I have one major fundamental problem with this movie. This Whoever wrote it fucking hates dogs. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Um this this movie i w- was basically like it's 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 weird because it's like essentially diablo cody like she ba- it's like her writing style for some reason because the way ginger and her sister talk is it like reminded me of juno and like jennifer's body and not in a good I way did you know get jennifer's body kind of vibes from this i mean because it's basically i mean i haven't seen jennifer's body in a long time in a while but it's it's essentially similar like ideas basically like uh sexy girl becomes monster essentially (laughs) but all i'm saying is the start of this movie is if you were trying to make likable or like a likable protagonist or even a uh like a relatable antagonist like a sympathetic antagonist you didn't do a good job of setting that up you basically went in like hey this is john wick Theon just killed a dog. Now root for him, motherfucker. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, I mean, every dog in this little neighborhood is completely like basically they're all dead by the end of this movie because everyone everyone that turns is killing dogs. <laughs> <laughs> and Ginger and Bridget are like, hey, this girl we don't like, we're gonna kidnap her dog and try to p- portray that one of the dismembered dogs was her dog. And I'm like, I'm supposed to be rooting for these two? Fuck well, you. In, in that case, I'm I'm with them because all they're going to do is just kidnap the dog. They're not going to do anything to it. They're going to make it look like something was done to it. And it's even funnier when the um when the, when the dog is killed. I think it's the sister that looks at it and goes, "Well, we don't need to kidnap the dog anymore. <laughs> it's like work's already done for us." Yeah. <laughs> but this movie also has um two people in it from. One from the movie we just talked about, Jesse Moss is back because he's the um the dickhead other kid that like turns into a werewolf. Uh he was from Tucker and Dale versus Evil. He's the main psychopath in that, basically. And then there's uh the goth kid from Final Destination 3, who is um basically the goth drug dealer in this movie. <laughs> but yeah, this this movie is so fun because it 
it's 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 absolutely a cult classic in the sense that it's such a great ridiculous horror movie but it's done it's done fairly well like even the creature effects are pretty good oh yeah i like the practical effects but what so can we talk about jesse moss for a second because like i i'm sure no one's ever said that ever (laughs) no (laughs) not even not even his parents (laughs) we're talking about jesse no (laughs) he he hasn't aged (laughs) not really not really. No, like, I mean it's a ten-year difference between this movie and Tucker and Dale versus Evil, and he hasn't aged. Not really. No, he's. And then if you look at his picture on IMDb, it's. I'm guessing. I'm guessing it's recent because you know he's older because he has some stubble. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that's how you know he's a little bit older, a little bit wiser of a um, of an actor. <laughs> but yeah, and the the craziest thing about this is, and since it is such a great cult classic. Because the thing with cult classics is most of the time they have a premise or at least starts with a premise that is just not a, it will not appeal to a wide audience, just won't do it. So if you come into this movie and you see what our main characters are doing, they have a suicide pact and a, and a, um, a school like photojournalism project basically about how they're all going to die you know in different ways to die they're just the outsiders and they like they're basically not quite the goth kids but like the dark and broody outsiders who had this weird suicide pact but the funniest thing is these girls should absolutely be like the most sought after filmmakers in Hollywood because their little school project has the production values of like a John Carpenter movie, you know? We need them to start making our YouTube videos. Exactly. Like they kill themselves in amazingly complicated ways with like makeup and practical effects, all this shit. Like when Ginger is speared over the picket fence, yeah, it is so real realistic it, like it really looks like she is dead over that picket fence and it's it, it just makes me laugh this whole time because no one everyone in this movie takes it so seriously mm-hmm. except for mimi rogers who i think knows exactly what movie she's in playing their mom yeah no she knows exactly what kind of movie she's in and she's playing it like this Kind of like the ant in Sleepaway Camp, but not as eccentric. <laughs> Dude, the ant in Sleepaway Camp, I'm not sure she's not an alien. Oh, I'm pretty sure she is an alien. <laughs> you'd have to be, you'd be hard-pressed to convince me she's human. <laughs> like, I almost feel like she was kicked out of society for being too, not too conspicuous. No, she was kicked out of the movie society. <laughs> because she's absolutely one of those aliens. But so, but the craziest thing is like the acting in this is, is perfectly fine for what it needs to be. It just needs to be high school kids, you know, and Catherine Isabel as ginger is great. Like she's really great in this movie, but the one that I do have the problem with is Emily Perkins as Bridget, her sister. I, I don't know. For some reason, it's the, it's the combination of her wig, her really bad wig. And just the way that she like, just the way that she comes across is like annoying to me. I'm like, I don't, I don't like you. I like Ginger because she's dark and psychotic, but also like that in like that, like weirdly attractive way. But yeah, like, that Bridget way can do the same like, thing. I want to have sex with her, but I'm definitely going to regret it. <laughs> okay, you will regret it. You'll, you'll end up a werewolf like Jesse Moss does. You know, <laughs> <Yeah>. it's <laughs> you will absolutely die. But and that's it's great. Like the two of the biggest themes of this movie 
are unprotected sex will turn you into a werewolf and your period will make you a monster. (laughs) Which, as we brought up uh, in a previous episode where we talked about werewolves, that exact plot line happens in the Magician's television show. It does, really? Yeah. Wait, uh, the werewolves uh, one? Or the period one? Yeah. Both. Or both. (laughs) It's the same show. Same episode, too. Because... (laughs) Was it just a Ginger Snaps themed episode or something? <laughs> so a guy is turned into a werewolf and he finds out that by the full moon, he's either going to kill someone or have sex. Like werewolfism is an STD in it. And okay. he either has to have sex with someone and pass on the disease or kill someone. So he has sex. And it turns out girls do it twice a month because, you know, <laughs> So it's not it's not like a Lost Boys scenario where he has to kill somebody to become a werewolf. No, you know, where like Lost Boys, it's you have to kill somebody to be fully become a vampire, or else you're like in that weird half state. No, but uh, oh, all right, yeah, interesting. What an interesting obscure movie plot to pull into your uh, sci-fi show. Also, I'm weirdly <laughs> convinced that uh, the uh, Teen Wolf TV show on MTV kind of stole from Ginger Snaps with. Uh, because they went with because it was guys, they used lacrosse, but like you have the field hockey scene in this. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The field hockey scene where uh well, one of the field hockey scenes where Ginger goes absolutely fucking wolf shit on a girl on, on the uh, Yeah, on which team again team. happens a lot in Team Wolf, at least in the first two seasons, which are like the only seasons I've seen. <laughs> yeah, I mean I don't think anybody's uh, gonna fault you for not being up on the Teen Wolf TV show. <laughs> <laughs> Where during on the lacrosse field, they like the big fear is he's gonna turn into the wolf and kill someone. Yeah. I mean it the the thing with this with this movie and and I, I enjoy the what they do, it's just it's very strange. Kind of like I don't I don't know why they do it because yes, it's a werewolf situation or a lycanthrope situation. Um they do make mention of a full moon being what turns the werewolf, but Ginger and Jesse Moss are what their transformation is gradual, like just yeah. gradual every day. There's something new. She grows a tail, mm-hmm. you know, and he starts growing a tail as well, but their teeth start to look more like werewolfy, I guess. And she's got some hair and like the like a little extra hair and yeah, the slash mark she has with uh, werewolf lore because a lot of the things that you would say would kill a werewolf, which in this makes sense, is a car. <laughs> a yeah. car, yeah, a car and a knife will both do for killing a werewolf. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. You don't need a silver bullet, it like. Uh, but like, they bring up silver actually... and wolfsbane. Essentially, they say monks would, but it's wolfsbane. It's a close cousin to Wolfsbane because yeah, they come from the same plant. Yeah, you or, can't get Wolfsbane for some reason. They say, and it's like mm-hmm. there's some reason. Reason like I think they say it's seasonal or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like monks, monks that is here, but Wolfsbane is not available at the moment because it's out of season or something. But these would typically be things that would either kill or severely weaken a werewolf, not necessarily yeah. cure them. Right. And like, I'm trying <laughs> to think of actual cures for like canthropy. Like in the in like werewolf lore, and I think the only one I can think of is killing the wolf that turned you. There's that, yeah. That's the only way to get back to being human. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, it's silver bullet or cut the head off. Like that's the only way you defeat a werewolf. You know, that's pretty much it. You're cursed for life, and it's just a various 
you you pass it on by bites. Um, I I don't know or if sex. I don't. Well, that's the thing. In this movie, there's sex, but I don't know if that's like I'm, I'm not in of the two vampires and werewolves. I I tend to usually fall on vampires because I just think they're a little bit cooler. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, like I'm not like for some. I don't think that's ever been introduced in werewolf lore for some reason like the unprotected sex like i'm i'm sure if if somebody listening I mean, it would make more know. sense as a werewolf than it would as a vampire because vampires are dead so they're shooting dead sperm up there <laughs> right yeah if they're doing that at all you yeah. know it's, but, but um the other thing that uh yeah i know harry potter there's like a potion that gives him that gives lupin some semblance of control over being a werewolf i thought you were gonna come up with something completely different like there's a scene in harry potter where professor lupin fucks whoever (laughs) and turns them into a werewolf (laughs) like he has an affair with joyce chen or whatever like whatever harry's little girlfriend is (laughs) now i do think so i think the concept of lycanthropy being an std i freaking love it i think that's so funny <laughs> it is like that's that's a really i i like that too like i like the fact that any of these could be that like if you make if you make that just a part of like supernatural lore for like vampires even zombies that'd be so funny now, like, because then you get like that somebody having sex like you get some necrophilia turns into a zombie that's that's a great that's like, like justice for that <laughs> the rage virus should absolutely be spread at least through butt sex <laughs> something yeah, yeah. <laughs> Something like that. Or they should somehow, like speaking of sex, they should at least incorporate like werewolves have to have sex doggy style. <laughs> like they can't have sex in any other position. <laughs> that's part of like, that's like cemented in werewolf lore. Like in, in all the lore that we get in the underworld movies, that should have been one of the things that comes out. <laughs> it's like, and we all know the like, the like, the lichens can only have sex doggy style, you know? <laughs> And then some of the lichens should have been like, that's a myth. Wait, it's a myth? Is it? Are you sure? Because I've never been able to have sex any other way. I think it's true. Right now, I don't know, man. It's weird. Like, I feel like I have to do it. Or at least on somebody's leg. It has to happen. (laughs) (laughs) Then there's... (laughs) I mean, I'm I'm just kind of skimming over my notes here. Because this is one of those movies that when you watch it you're like this movie's good like this is a fun it's a fun ridiculous movie and it's it's just it's it's got some good emotional beats to it because like we always say full spoiler blah 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 all of at the at the end uh, bridget and uh, ginger do fulfill at least as far as we know they fulfill their dying together pact you know so they are officially dead but of course in the second one we find out that bridget lives on and goes it goes from there Weirdly enough, though, and it's the same case with Sleepaway Camp, and um, it's not the case for Reanimator for me for some reason. Watching this movie, when you're done it, knowing that there are two sequels, you kind of, for some reason, I wanted to keep watching just to see, like, how the story kept going, because the third one is actually a prequel, and it's like a, it's like a Salem, like, it's like a Civil War-ish, like, even before that, like, era like 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 um not medieval quite quite medieval times but it's it's a very way before the fact prequel and it's ginger and bridget like it's those two characters and i think that's the one with tatania maslani in it and all that or she hulk if you people are uh you're new to this but same thing with sleepaway camp i've seen sleepaway camp too 
and the star of that we'll get to. But then there's like Sleepaway Camp 3. It's like, we're just going to keep going with this story. Like, how much worse can it get? It's so like, ridiculous. Yeah, I know. Sleepaway Camp is especially like, you kind of struck gold with that ending. Now, uh, and maybe, maybe cup eight. <laughs> Yeah, the other yeah, it's, the real the other two really don't hold up, and the se- the mm-hmm. second one it it just doesn't have that same impact that the first one does. But with this one, it's it's so funny because then, like we mentioned, Mimi Rogers' character, she's Ginger and Bridget's mom. At one point, she finds out that the girls have killed uh, Trina the bully, and they have buried her in um in their in her garden, and they lose her fingers. They lose her fingers, yeah, and she finds out about, it, but she's not mad she wants to basically burn the house down and start over and bridget asks her she's like well what about dad and she doesn't have an answer for that <laughs> she's just kind of like oh i was kind of assuming he'd be in the house when we burned it down you know <laughs> we're all getting a fresh start here sweetheart exactly it's like oh my god listen but- listen you get your fresh start i get mine no questions asked all right <laughs> right exactly and then at the end of the movie that pretty much has to be the way that Mimi Rogers moves on because she's got a dead werewolf in her in her basement. She's got a dead kid in her basement. She's got two dead kids on the property. One of her children is more than likely going to die as well, you know. And so you basically you got to burn it down and you got to start over. <laughs> Just burn it all and start over. Now, also with this movie, and it's something that other werewolf movies I don't think have the balls to do. When Ginger, Ginger hits a couple different forms in this movie before she hits her final dog form. She starts off as regular Ginger. She gets a tail, but she's still like hot Ginger. Then she starts to get the teeth. And then her hair starts. She was just a furry at that point. Right. Then her hair starts to get some like, like rogue streaks through it. And then at one point towards the end, right before she goes into final dog form, she is full on bleached white hair. Her face is basically like a lost boy's vampire face almost with the teeth. She is now wearing like a sexy outfit. She's got this like shirt on over top that kind of like covers her boobs. And that's about it. You get some under boob and she's got her like midriff is completely exposed. And she has rows of dog nipples like there. And I was like, that is a perfect and b why has no one else ever thought to do that (laughs) that is such a great touch (laughs) it's awesome (laughs) because that's it's it's almost as genius as putting nipples on the batman suit exactly i mean and you saw how great joel schumacher was again lost boys (laughs) but then with that scene i that scene created somebody out there somebody's fetish was awakened there because that is what is it what my mike you will know because you're the anime guy what is it in anime where it's like a half human animal like hybrid is it a waifu is that a thing a waifu is a thing but it's not a half human like it's not what it's not that's just a girl in anime that you oh, I thought that was like a girl who's like part cat or some shit like that. Yeah. Okay. Well, then it's basically like a furry. Is what yeah, we're talking about here. Furry. Yeah. So, so Ginger as anatomically correct furry werewolf is going to fuck Goth Kid from Final Destination Three, and you know at some point someone was like watching this movie, just going, "Yep, that's going to be me now." 
you know, Pornhub, here I come. Very dark corners of Pornhub, you know. I am going to be seeing this specific thing. <laughs> but it's one of those movies where you say you're like, great touch. I don't know if I like the way this contributed to society now. <laughs> That's what I said. It's something, <laughs> we got to point to something that has increased the sale of butt plugs with tails connected to them. And this movie is probably, it's probably up there. <laughs> Again, folks, this is an audio podcast. You could not see my reaction. I almost spit beer all over my, my laptop when Mike said that because I've never heard a more, it's like, it's like that Eric Andre meme. Why would you say something so controversial yet so true? <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly right i mean and but that maybe that's what i'm thinking of like like girls that have you know butt plugs with like tails coming out and like they wear cat ears while they have sex that's essentially it but yeah and it 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 makes me laugh because all of these great little touches are in here and they're essentially timeless like you can go back and forth this movie because it's just a high school movie it's just a coming of age type movie from everything i've read people like like this movie and think it's a good movie like they don't just like it for what it is like they think it's genuinely pretty good right and the pun of the title is even better you know because Mm -hmm. ginger snaps like oh ginger snaps but then you look at it you go oh wait ginger snaps (laughs) but then it's it's the biggest crime this movie commits and it's it's only me and probably our friend Brian, who's definitely probably listening because he's probably going to see Ginger Snaps and know want to know what the hell we're talking about. This movie plays about ten seconds of a great Fear Factory song, and it's and it's the song Demanufacture, and it's when Ginger snaps and starts beating the shit out of Trina in the field hockey scene. It's that that's the heavy metal song that's playing there. It's Fear Factory. It's such a great goddamn song. But it's obscured by girls screaming, and you can only hear like one line, and it's "I have no more goddamn regrets." That's the only thing you can hear. And I was like, "All right, great editing, but I need more of that song." <laughs> the weirdest thing is, though, the soundtrack for this movie has a bunch of great metal bands on it. Fear Factory is on there, but it's not the song. It's not that song that's on there. And I was, I looked it up. I was like, "What? What?" come on <laughs> it's like i get 15 seconds in this goddamn movie and i can't even get it on the actual soundtrack fuck you fuck you <laughs> and then then there's the little the little thing in here and we're going to talk about it because it's one of the legendary lines in uh, fight club so we're going to talk about that in a couple weeks that is probably on par with Ginger's description of committing murder in as a werewolf in this. She commits it. She, uh, she compares it to basically masturbating and having an orgasm. And I was like that. I don't think anyone has ever had a teenage girl explain murder that way. And especially to have it happen in this movie. It's like, it works perfectly. But at the same time, you're thinking, Oh my God, am i turning into something now <laughs> like do i need to hear this girl talk about murdering and like are you equating it to masturbation is that me now do i have to go to the corner of porn as well <laughs> do i have to meet these furry freaks over there and this movie has a couple great lines and like one of them she's like i get this ache and i thought it was for sex but it was to tear everything to fucking pieces and that is, is right that, that's the line you're talking about right well, it's it, no that that might be the line right before it, but she okay. does. I forget the exact lines, but she does compare. Because mm-hmm. um, I think they ask her. Uh, I think it's when Bridget asks her. It's towards the end because it's towards the end of my notes. Um, 
I think I think it's after they kill uh I think she kills another dog. I can't remember yeah. what it is. Or no, 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 no. I'm sorry. It's after the um it's after the uh the janitor. I think it's after she kills the janitor. That's it. Should have called for help. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty sure it's after she kills the janitor. That that's but another great know. line in this is Ginger to Bridget. She's like, a girl can only be a slut, a bitch, a tease, or the virgin next door. Right. I mean <laughs> not not entirely wrong if you look at pop culture in Hollywood, you know. <laughs> that's pretty much and, and that's but that's also something that like we mentioned Diablo Cody and Jennifer's body. That's something you would see or hear in that movie. Yeah. You know, it's it's exactly what Which I'm actually like. a pretty big fan of Jennifer's body. Like when I first saw it, I thought it was just a vehicle to, you know, show off Megan Fox at the peak of her popularity, but it's actually a I wish they gave it the R rating. It deserved the R rating. Yeah, I mean, I haven't seen it since it came out, so like I don't remember. But I remember thinking, I am not a fan of Diablo Cody, and I'm not mm-hmm. a fan of Juno. So I think I probably took it out on Jennifer's body too, mm-hmm. you know. So I was probably like, no, I don't want anything to do with any of this. This sucks because it's, it's from a girl who sucks in a movie that I hate. You know, it's <laughs> she'll be she'll be gone any day now, which shockingly enough, she was, but. Yeah, it's it's it, this movie is so it's such a great cult classic because could you imagine if this movie made like hundreds of millions of dollars? <laughs> like, what what kind of society would we be if that this is the blockbuster that we made? Wait, I completely my favorite line in this movie is the fuck be this is your idea if you don't like your ideas stop having them <laughs> <laughs> stop having them such a great, that is such a great line. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah, this movie's just great. Like, I can't recommend Ginger Snaps enough. Mm-hmm. It's it's so good, and I think right now it's on Shutter. Like, that's that's the that's the way I watched it. Yeah, you know, that's like, how I watched it. Yeah, it's and you'll find Reanimators on there as well. Uh, Sleepaway Camp uh, was on there, but I don't think it's on there anymore. You know, but, I actually went to the last remaining blockbuster to rent it. Nice, nice. How is Gnome, Oregon, Bend, Oregon, or whatever it is? <laughs> it, was, it was pretty, it was a cheap flight there and back. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure. Because you're just going for a blockbuster. There's no yeah. luggage or anything. But um, yeah, it's, it's such a great movie. So uh, great, a great start to our cold classics uh, month. So uh, Mike, how is your beer? I'm about halfway done my first one. Taking it pretty slow because it's pretty heavy. But I like it a lot more than I like a strong IPA usually is not something I'll go for, but I I'm enjoying this one and I do like Bolero snort and Icarus. So not too yeah. surprised that I like it, I guess. Nice. Yeah. It's always fun when uh, two good breweries do a collaboration that actually works. Yeah. That's Bolero had another collaboration that I was debating doing, but it was a Porter and it was like $20 for a four pack. And I'm like, Jesus. Ah. fuck that. It should be like universally like 12 bucks. 12 or 13 bucks, you know, none of this. Special editions can get up to 14 or 15 at most. <laughs> yeah, yeah, something like that. But come on, we don't. But uh, yeah, my Misfit Red from Duclaw is uh, very good. I'm actually, I just actually just opened up my second one. So uh, now we're going to get into probably the one that, ever, that, that people have heard the most or at least know the most about. I don't it, know. I've, I do feel like the cult classic community, like Sleepaway Camp is pretty pretty idolized kind of as a cult, like held up as a cult classic 
Right. No, I'm talking about like if you were to go by the average moviegoer and if you were yeah. to say of these three movies, which one have you actually heard of? They probably would say Reanimator. Mm-hmm. And whether or not that it's because that person's read the novella by H.P. Lovecraft or because it's Reanimator, you know, there's there's so many iconic like images in this movie, like the glowing reagent and all that. Uh, it's there's there's a lot. That I think like regular horror people, especially if you're but watching apparently they used 900 glow sticks to yeah, and this was the first time glow sticks were used in this capacity in a movie because the next fam- most famous one is Predator, and that's two years later. Mm-hmm. But um, yes, yeah, so this is Reanimator '85, directed by Stuart Gordon, who did From Beyond, which is another great horror movie, and Dolls, which is one of the creepiest like cover posters I've ever seen. It's just this little girl doll movie holding her eyes, and I was like, every time I'd be in like Blockbuster or whatever trying to rent a movie, and I'd see that, I'd be like, oh no, scary, <laughs> go away, girl, don't go away, eyeless doll girl, no. <laughs> but right off the bat, we do have to address the fact that the theme song is blatantly ripped off of Psycho. Oh yeah, <laughs> the blatant rip off of Psycho. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> There's just so much about the making of this movie that's more interesting than the movie itself, I think. Well, the movie itself is just very it's very straightforward. There's nothing too crazy about it. Um I love how they cut out the side plot that uh that was like meant to explain why Dr. Hill could control the other dead bodies. Like they right. cut out a side plot that showed that he was like could do hypnosis. Yeah, which the, direct, which the director is like, hey, why do we have to explain that? It's fine. <laughs> I think if I remember correctly from what I'm reading, because I've, I've never seen Bride of Reanimator, which is the sequel. I'm pretty sure that that's part of that movie's plot, like the telekinesis or the thought control or mental manipulation, or whatever, mind control. But I'm pretty sure <laughs> but it's it doesn't part of that. explain why there's no arson monkey that he has a psychic connection to in this. Right. Yeah. I mean, where the hell is that? Where is the monkey shines reanimator crossover universe? I want to see it. We need it. We deserve it. We deserve it. And if I don't get a 10 minute point of view of a monkey running to a cabin and burning it down. I don't want to watch your, I don't care to see your movie, sir. <laughs> And in this case, it's like, we don't get a 10-minute um, point-of-view shot from a decapitated head. You know? yeah. <laughs> it's like, it'd be the same thing. But, I mean, Jeffrey Combs in this uh, Jeffrey Combs in this movie is so good as Herbert West. Mm-hmm. And my favorite line from him, favorite line, hands down, is after they find the cat in the refrigerator, when he goes, I was going to tell you. He's like, what do you want me to do? Leave you a note? Cat dead? Details later? <laughs> <laughs> That's such a great line. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> so just everything about this movie, it's like, well, the ending is obviously the the best part of this movie. Because you get all the zombies, all with different like backstories on how they were supposed to have been killed. Like I love like the burn zombie that ends up choking out uh oh god. Barbara Crampton. Yeah. Barbara Crampton's character, yeah. Well, uh, and he gets his arm chopped off by main Dan. By, uh, Dan. Dan, yeah. Well, apparently, they purposely cast a guy who had a prosthetic arm and they nice. covered it up with burn makeup and of he used the axe to knock off the, prosthet- the prosthesis. Of course. I mean, it's it's nice. That's a nice cheap way to do it, you know? It's. <laughs> 
one of the and well the other thing is the the first guy they bring back the gigantic like hulking monster guy yeah that's arnold schwarzenegger's stunt double yeah you know <laughs> uh, they, even, he shows up in uh twins and Ar- he's the guy that arnold mistakes as his twin when it yeah. turns out it's danny devito <laughs> yep yeah it's then <laughs> my favorite part there's two things in my favorite part about this and there's two documentaries uh, that you can watch. And again, they're both on Shutter. I feel like this is going to be like the Shutter plug cast tonight. On Shutter, there's two documentaries called Into Darkness. And it's Into Darkness 1 and Into Darkness 2. And it basically covers all of like 80s horror. And it's it's very in-depth and very obscure, almost very obscure movies are brought up and talked about along with the heavy hitters. But the heavy hitters aren't given like more time it's it's mm-hmm. all essentially like the less like the lesser known stuff because they basically assume that you know the big stuff mm-hmm. you know and so they, they'll talk to the people from nightmare on elm street friday the 13th all that stuff like you get kane hotter bob england all that they'll talk about these things but then they'll talk about the other movies that they've done and then they'll spend time talking about like elvira like cassandra peterson is in there for a little bit she's talking about stuff but then barbara crampton is in it talking about this movie and other movies that she was in and how her thoughts on nudity. Now in this movie, she spends the third act completely nude. And at one point she is almost raped by a decapitated head going down on her as she's strapped to a meta table. That scene, she was like, yeah, it's that scene. It's, nudity was part of the script and her father in movie is the one who strips her yeah it's like that's part of the script it's all i'm cool with that the funny part is david gale who plays hill the decapitated uh, guy his wife apparently was not or david gale plays dr call dr hill his wife apparently was not cool with that she didn't think that was good to see you know in this fictional movie that they're doing she thought he went too far and ended up divorcing him because of it (laughs) imagine that shit like just imagine that like you have the actress who's on the receiving end you have her consent to do this you have everyone else's consent to do this you are like i'm a decapitated head we're i'm not he doesn't actually get in the chow and down he's almost there but they he get they get interrupted so it never actually happens but like this woman was like nope too far we're getting a divorce just imagine if the things were like reversed in like neon demon when the girl who plays the corpse that gets molested yeah. <laughs> by, Jen, by Jenna Malone, imagine if her girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever was like, you know what, hun? Too far. I don't want to be with you. If you're going to be a molested corpse, I'm out of this relationship. <laughs> <laughs> but that's not what I signed on for in your journey, honey. <laughs> you know, <laughs> It's like, this is not real, lady. It's not real. You knew he was an actor. <laughs> what the hell's yeah. the matter with you? <laughs> Dr. Hill is one of the slimiest characters ever put to film. Oh, God, yes. Oh, he's so awful. He's so awful. Total creep, collecting, like, napkins and hair from his colleague's daughter, who is much, much younger than him. Yeah. Wants to basically, like, commit science. He wants to steal all the scientific uh, glory for the reanimator syndrome. Yeah. Yeah, he wa- yeah, he wants to take over. He wants to just take credit for everything the West has done. Who 
the first doctor. What is the name of the famous German scientist uh, uh, that uh, doctor that Herbert West is studying with in the beginning? Um, did you catch it? I didn't. It is Dr. Hans Gruber. <laughs> right before he joined, <laughs> right before he joined up with his all-star team of terrorists and took over Nakatomi Plaza a couple of years later. <laughs> but and that that's where you get the famous. There's not line. that much money in reanimating study. Right. Yeah, you got to get into terrorism. But and that gives us in that scene, the opening scene gives us the great line of you killed him. No, I gave him life. <laughs> you know, it's like, all right, all right, I know we're getting into here. And then Yeah, it's a it's a total modern version of Frankenstein to absolutely. Degree. Yeah, it's it's an eighties version of frankenstein even though it is based off of you know an old hp lovecraft well, yeah, novella yeah, but frankenstein was written before hp lovecraft wrote right yeah yeah right before that super racist came up with this and it's it, it again it's one of those things where it's like we've we mentioned this before like you got to divorce yourself from the person yeah and just take the material because what's in reanimator is not racist mm-hmm. <laughs> granted some of his stories that shit carries over but for the most part the cthulhu mythos and reanimator they kind of stay separate from all of that you know yeah. but we get the Mis- we get miskatonic university in arkham massachusetts in this it's yeah we get it all there and it's Jeffrey, like I said, Jeffrey Combs as Herbert West, Herbert West Reanimator, which is the name of the novella. He is so good because he is so supremely confident in who he is, yet he is the most psychopathic person ever. (laughs) When he kills Dr. Hill, which, to be fair, Dr. Hill should be killed. Had it coming. (laughs) Had it coming. Absolutely had it coming. But when he does it, he doesn't see it as committing murder. He's like, I'm a scientist. I get to test a new experiment. It's an experiment. Like I said, like he kills the cat. He kills the cat just to be able to bring it back. (laughs) And then he goes, don't expect it to tap dance. It's got a broken back. Right. It's so good. God, it's so good. And Well, then, sir. If you if you wanted to truly test the serum, shouldn't you have killed it in a way that, you know, didn't cripple it if you were going to bring it back? Well, no, no, no. No, he says that line after they catch it, after it yeah. attacks them. So that's why, because Kane doesn't know what's going on yet. Oh, yeah. And he doesn't know what's going on yet. So that's when he proves to him. That's when, like, the thing's got, like, half its guts hanging out and all that. So it's mm-hmm. not going anywhere. But, yeah, no, he says that after that. But, yeah. No, he kills, he keeps the cat perfectly fine for when he first brings it back. That's why he's fighting the damn thing at one point. But yeah, it's, there is, then there's just the simple, like the little stuff in this movie where the great little like physical prop comedy, when um, West is trying to get Dr. Hill's decapitated head Mm -hmm. to stay upright and it only keeps falling over. So he takes the note thing. He takes the note spike dumps the papers off of it and just jams it right on top of the note spike sitting in the tray. <laughs> and that's, and okay, so one of the ways that they got the head to work was Dr. Hill would sit under a table in like a bucket thing and have like just uh, pieces of uh, makeup skin attached to him and like a pool of blood, which is like the classic way to show a. Yeah. Yeah. It's and it. I, it's the same. It's the same way they did uh, Kevin Bacon Friday the Thirteenth when he gets the arrow pierced through his throat. He's underneath, but there's a body that they've 
they've makeup in plaz and rubberized, like connected to his exposed neck. Which apparently but, uh, sleepaway camp's way of doing it is way cooler, apparently. What the arrow through the throat? Yeah. That's a great edit too. It really is a hell of an edit. Yeah. But um Well that's on Sleepaway Camp, it's like there was like a rope contraption hooked up and the front of the arrow was on the guy's back and it's supposed to just like when they get the front of the arrow, the back of the arrow pops up at quicker so you oh, can nice. see it. Yeah, and it's it's pretty seamless. Like mm-hmm. you can't it's the one thing in that movie that goes that's like super professionally done. Yeah. <laughs> but and then of course there is there is the great line that Jeffrey Combs himself has said, and apparently like the actor commentary on this movie when you watch the Blu-ray or whatever, the actor commentary on this is apparently like legendary. It's kind of like it's up there with Ben Affleck, like like making fun of uh, Michael Bay and Armageddon when he does his con- when he does his commentary. But apparently, with this, they're like just cracking jokes. They're talking about all kinds of crazy. It's like the most informative commentary because it's like the real people just talking like normally about this movie. <laughs> That's, my favorite is when they were talking about the cinematographer during the scene when all the zombies come back to life because they're all naked in the morgue, and he was trying to figure out ways to shoot it without getting so much full frontal that it gets classified as pornography and apparently they're all made i think he was german east east european the cinematographer was i'm not sure he was because i only saw clips of the interviews and i think it was other people talking about him yeah but apparently it was like there are so many weenies there's so many how do i hide all of these weenies (laughs) so many weenies (laughs) Must have weenies, get out of shot. <laughs> All right, Borat, we're good on this. <laughs> but, and then, of course, there's, you know, there's West's iconic line at the end is, who's going to believe a talking head? Get a job in a sideshow. <laughs> but this, this movie, and it, the best part is this movie, it doesn't shy away from the down ending, you know? It's because Megan, for all we know, is dead at the end of this movie. And Kane brings is going to bring her back, and all we hear is her screaming at the end. And so you you think that she just came back from the dead. Now I don't believe they are in Bride of Reanimator. I'm not where she is, but it's in a different type of way. Like I think she's literally pieced together, like as a Frankenstein monster kind of thing. Um, but. It it is it is fun that it's it's not like it's not an, a lesser movie would have the reagent bring her back and it be the one that actually like works normally you know and, and as opposed to her father who's completely insane and has to be lobotomized and because that's how they can explain that Gail that Hill can control everybody it's the the lobotomy technique like the way he does it that allows him to manipulate their brain and their actions it makes them very susceptible to listening to them and all that shit but. but- I think my other favorite line in this movie is like, what do we do if we get caught? What are they going to do? Embalm us? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's so, it's such a, it's such a great fucking movie. And like I said, it's, it's, it's the movie that of these three, I think the, the general population is probably heard of more. Or definitely. I would say definitely is, but it's also the one that's like, I don't know. It's also the one that's kind of like weirdly the least uh, like accessible. Like, because there's a lot in this movie that is very off-putting. Mm-hmm. Whereas Sleepaway Camp, it's just a slasher. 
until the end <laughs> when uh, you get that reveal. Sna- I'm still going to say Ginger snaps. The amount of dead dogs is going to. That, yeah. If you don't know what you're getting into when you get that, you're definitely going to probably, because there's a lot of good dead puppet dogs in, this, in that movie. So that's, I'm saying Ginger Snaps is the least accessible, though I don't know. I guess with weird, uh, weird cunnilingus scenes, since I've been exposed to monkey shines, this, this wasn't that bad. Yeah. Yeah. There's some society. If you, if you see monkey shines in society, this movie's nothing. Yeah. <laughs> There's nothing going on here. But. All right, so that's probably enough on Reanimator. Other than the fact that I would say, just go fucking get, just go watch it. That's the thing with a lot of the, a lot of the movies this month. You have to experience them. Like hearing us talk about them, you're not gonna get it. (laughs) These are definitely movies that are like out there to a degree. At least most of them are. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's yeah, it's. We're as as I look at the schedule, our movies get a lot more popular. I'll say <laughs> that as in pop culture, people have heard of them or at least in some way experienced them. Oh yeah, like, especially the and week three. Week Re- three. week three is essentially our mainstream cult classics, Malik. Yeah. <laughs> but. All right, so we do still have one more movie to discuss. It's probably the it's well, it's hands down the craziest of the three, but. We do have to discuss what we're drinking still. So, Mike, how's your uh, how's your beer? Doing good. I just finished my first one. Opening up a second one. Probably not going to finish that one before we finish the podcast, but because these are really heavy, like mm. I couldn't drink a lot of these. One or two is probably the most, but I do enjoy the taste. So, good job on that, Bolero and Icarus. Nice. All right. Yeah. Why kick a moo cow? Why kick a moo cow? But um, yeah, my Misfit Red from Duclaw, very good. Now, since we are talking about a summer camp movie, I have, luckily enough, the other beer that they sent me from Duclaw is called Lil Sour Me. And Lil Sour Me is a bomb pop, or it's a rocket pop sour ale. Ship Bottom Brewery is also doing a bomb pop one that they have, and it's also a sour ale. And my question is this, how many other breweries have come up with a rocket pop style uh, sour ale? Because if one in Maryland can do it and one in Beach Haven, New Jersey can do it, I guarantee someone else. Oh, I somewhere. had one. I had a 4th of July one before. Yeah, there you go. See, like, they're just, they're popping up. All I didn't it's, like it. <laughs> this, see, that's the thing with this one. It tastes like a rocket pop. It tastes like a bomb pop. And it, cause it's got. Cherry puree, raspberry puree, and lime juice and tart cherry juice. It's got all of the flavors of the Rocket Pop in there, and they come through in the sour like right away. It's the first thing you think. Why you go, is wow, it not this... layered like a bomb pop? <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. The only thing they failed at was making it red, white, and blue. <laughs> you know, there's no they couldn't. You know, if you can that. find a brewery to do that, then you probably shouldn't drink it because it's. <laughs> It's probably got some weird stuff in it. Yeah, I would I would be very hesitant to uh to want to do that. <laughs> but yeah, it's but still, if they can do it, I'm definitely gonna try it. <laughs> I'm definitely I'm definitely gonna be trying it. I saw something when I was alcohol shopping today. Apparently there is cookie dough flavored whiskey now. Why does that sound horrible? 
it does sound horrible, doesn't it? But I'm morbidly curious. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It, it feels like a, something I would have to try, but... <laughs> but, yeah. But so, I don't even like peanut butter whiskey. I, I don't know why there's flavored whiskeys. Just give me whiskey, you know? Just like there, There's, like, a couple acceptable flavored whiskeys. Like, apple whiskey is fine. I guess, yeah. I mean, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like, basic flavors, I guess. Like, vanilla whiskey, whatever. I know honey was a thing for a while. That yeah. was like the big thing to put in there. That's Crown Royal does some flavors and they do them pretty well. Like they have apple, peach, and vanilla, I think. I mean, it's Crown Royal. So like they, they know what they're doing. Yeah. But, um, all right. So yeah. So my little sour made rocket pop sour ale through claw brewing 5.5%. I'm very good. Now my little newsletter that I get with my club, my beer club also has like pairing suggestions so i think one week i'm gonna try to like get some of the shit that they uh that they recommend because like right here it's saying like it's a berry flavored ice cream makes for a complimentary dessert pairing for savory options a salad with sliced strawberries and fresh goat cheese or gorgonzola can work or try salty fare like lemon based shellfish or a charcuterie plate like one of these episodes, I might just do that. I might just have my beer and a fucking plate of sweat. We're, we're gonna start a YouTube series pairing craft beers. Right. B- yeah, beer snobs. <laughs> Happy hour films, sideshow, beer snobs. And we're just gonna sit here. We're gonna talk shit no, about beers. No, we have to find the fast food item that pairs with craft beers. Well, here's the thing. One of these oh, one of these, um, it's Misfit Red, actually. Uh, for pairing options, we steered towards roasted pork and fowl with a fruit and fuse sauce or a panini with chicken breast, Asiago, fresh greens, and a citrus aioli. You can get that at Wawa. <laughs> or you can get it at Panera. But, yeah, I mean, I mean, one of these, we should just do that. We should have, like, one of our, like, just snob fest or something like this. Like, ooh, yeah. the notes of whatever pair wonderful with my cheese and meats. <laughs> like, wear monocles and top hats and shit. Try to, like, do pair up with Dr. Brewittles again and try to see, like, what fast food do you think would pair with these beers? Right. Yeah, what goes best with a Whopper? <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, yes, we should, that's, that's definitely a sideshow for another day, uh, maybe yeah. when we... Maybe when we take off for Mike making me watch every anime under the sun, we finally have to uh, we finally have to do a pairings uh, show. Yeah, we got to try starting up a new show. On yeah, YouTube. it's called Ross and Mike eat some shit while they drink. And all I'm saying is the fans have spoken. Me watch making you watch anime easily our best viewership right i haven't found i haven't found the uh, the secret uh the secret formula the other way yet because i've been like watching dumbass <laughs> well movies. that's also because i think anime like the movies you've made me watch so far anime easily has a much bigger audience than well, i was gonna say i mean i thought hard ticket to hawaii was gonna do that shit but nope apparently <laughs> not like, like i it would probably i would probably have to make you watch the prequels or something again in some weird way <laughs> like to make people like jump back on yeah yeah, but, yeah we gotta you gotta break into big fan bases there yeah you gotta find a way Life finds a way, as we know. Anyway, life finds a way in this movie that we're talking about here with Sleepaway Camp from 83, directed by Robert Hiltzik, who just did return to Sleepaway Camp, which apparently was the 2008, like, requel, essentially, because it's one of those sequels that ignores the two that came before that came uh, before and just goes right back to the original. 
But the funny thing is, and this is for our UK listeners, you probably know this movie as Nightmare Vacation. <laughs> you don't know it as Sleepaway Camp. You know it as Nightmare Vacation. And right off the bat, right off the bat, I love that the cast is listed in two to three different ways. The first four are listed as introducing. Then most of the rest of the cast is listed as featuring. And then there's a whole bunch that are named as with. <laughs> there are no just stars. that's just introducing these four people, featuring a bunch of others, and with a few more. Now <laughs> These people are not famous. <laughs> a star's father is in this. A very famous person's father is in this. And he kind of sounds like his son. He would be the cook, right? One of the yes, cooks. That would. would be a certain Mr. Darth Vader. Yep, his father. James Earl Jones' dad, yes, is in this movie. He Except is. not like laughing at a pedophile's jokes, man. Bad luck. <laughs> well, that's the thing. I think it's more of a I think it's more of a he's technically like the head of the kitchen. So he's kind of got to keep him like, ah, funny jokes guy. Yeah. But it's also, they're all creeps. Like all of those dudes are just degenerate creeps. So I don't put it past them to be like, yeah, that's some good shit, man. Baldies, right? Oh yeah. Hilarious. <laughs> mm-hmm. But there is, there is another um, famous celebrity connection. When you get into the sequel of this movie, Sleepaway Camp 2. Unhappy Campers, I believe, is the subtitle of the movie. Um, yeah, so back to Unhappy Campers stars one. Oh, it's actually, I'm sorry, there are two connections to famous people. It's in, it's the lead and it's the first supporting actress. One Pamela Springsteen is the lead, and that would be oh, the young, I did know that for the some younger reason. sister of one Bruce. I charge five thousand dollars for a concert ticket, Springsteen, and then. There is Renee Estevez, which I believe is the youngest sister of Carlos and Emilio. (laughs) I believe that's who that is. I can't remember, but I'm pretty sure she's in some way related to these people. Yeah, she's the youngest child and only daughter of Martin and Janet Sheen. So she is the youngest sister of Emilio and Carlos Estevez. Renee Estevez and Pamela Springsteen star in Sleepaway Camp 2, Nightmare Vacation 2, Unhappy Campers. And I didn't even know about the third brother. Is it Ramon? They have a third brother? <laughs> so you have Emilio, Charlie, and then Ramon? Ramon. Yeah, sure. What 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 obscure horror franchise is he in? <laughs> I'm not sure. Or is he like the actual trash man that Men at Work was based off of? <laughs> it's just the life and times of Ramon Estevez, <laughs> aka Men at Work, <laughs> starring his much I mean, more he's famous been in stuff. Oh, I'm sure he has. Has, has he been in their movies? Yeah. Like, is he like extra number five in? Yeah, he, uh, was in Wall Street? Like, he was in Beverly Hill Brats. I don't know what that is, Mike. <laughs> no one knows what that is. is uh, that he was in is? Cadence. Okay. Sure. What the uh, hell is that? It looks like he, did, he was in the West Wing. Oh, okay. So that's with Dad. He's with Dad on that one. But it yeah. turns out he's more of a producer. Of course. Of course he is. Because he's behind the scenes, you know. And he probably doesn't have the looks that Carlos and Emilio do. Or Renee. Because Renee's a fairly attractive woman as well. But... Yeah, but so that's the pow- that's the star power we get 
for the sequel of this movie. This movie, on the other hand, we get James Earl Jones' dad, and that's about it. <laughs> we don't get anybody else. And what? Now, apparently, so it sounded like a lot of people liked doing the filming of this movie, except for the actor that played Ricky. Yeah, and I can see that. Because <laughs> I think people actually, like, shit on him a little bit you know <laughs> well the actor that played ricky like the scene where he catches the cook about the rape uh yeah angela like angela. when he's getting thrown against the wall there was he was actually getting thrown against the wall well, yeah because they're not paying for stunt kids <laughs> we're not paying for stunt kids of course he's getting thrown and apparently the wall. he was forced to do a lot of takes yeah yeah because shocker they didn't get it right but but apparently meeting any of the characters in this at like festivals or conventions or whatever apparently they're all awesome to talk to oh apparently well felissa rose from what i understand has essentially made her living off of this movie and that's kind of insane to me because i can't think of another movie that is less well known among even cult like cult movie people are like movie people are going to know about this movie mm-hmm. horror fans are going to know about this movie but then you get to like the average convention goer like i guess yeah they're probably a little more dedicated of a fan than mm-hmm. joe off the street but to be able to make a living off of these conventions that's that just shows the power of like fandom and conventions right yeah. there. That she can make a living off of this one role. <laughs> one yeah. role. Because no, actually I he, lied. Apparently, guys have been anonymous since his, what happened in this movie. But the guy who was under the mask went for the iconic scene at the end of this movie. Apparently, he had like beers beforehand. He started crying that he didn't want to do it and Oh, yeah! I hope he's doing all right. And I'm from from at least the shot in the movie. It was apparently very cold, <laughs> so <laughs> there is no way I would want my face to ever be associated with that. <laughs> you know, it's like it's like no, it's kind of like Ken Jung in The Hangover. It's like yeah, is please Ken, tell me it's a prosthetic. <laughs> tell me that that's not your real dick, man. <laughs> because my God, how do you have children? <laughs> but there is. In in this movie, right off the bat, and Felissa Rose as Angela slash Peter, we should say, because Peter, the little boy in the beginning of this movie, turns out to be Angela at the end. Well, her family gets killed in a boating accident. Her dad, his, her, his, his dad is killed that's i don't know how to handle this situation because generally you would go with the preferred name and preferred pronouns but said name and pronouns were forced on them by the aunt so i don't know how to handle this well that's that's the big discussion about this movie and it's this movie in particular that throws all of those questions right front and center when the twist is revealed that Angela was raised as a boy or was raised as a girl formerly. Okay. So here's, here's, we'll just lay it out there to get, make sure. Raised as a boy until about the age of six. Until the act is, is a boy named Peter until this accident happens where his father is run over by a speedboat and he has to go live 
with his eccentric aunt and cousin. Cousin is Ricky. is a strong word. Yeah, I was just saying. And we'll, is alien of an aunt. <laughs> yeah, we'll get, we'll get more into her. But just for the basic plot, we're just going to call her eccentric. So she goes to, he goes to live with his cousin Ricky and his eccentric aunt. The aunt has always wanted a little girl, so she raises Peter as Angela, a girl. Growing up, this movie, the events of this movie happen. Anybody that crosses Angela dies, and it turns out that Angela has been Peter the whole time, and we find all this out at the end. The big social commentary and pop culture question and the the debates about this movie and the LGBTQ uh, issues in it and that's just specifically the trans issues are essentially the same that um, Hitchcock got with psycho with Norman, with Norman Bates, the, cause it's explicitly mentioned in psycho that being a transvestite is what this, the line is the word that's used is what drove him to be the way he is. Now, of course, everyone knows that's completely insane. It's, but in 1960, whatever, that was the prevailing psychological thought uh, like that was the prominent thought in the medical psychological community for that can't blame them they didn't know much better now fast forward to 1983 we know a little bit more but exactly it's still the 80s so we're not exactly as quote-unquote woke or quote-unquote educated you know about all of this stuff the trans community is not as able to be out in public and open and out as they are now is still a very closeted community and very vilified community, essentially, for all the wrong reasons. And this movie, when you look at some of the discussion around it, obviously didn't help because essentially what it's saying is that if you are not raised by your naturally identified gender, you're going to go insane. You're going to murder people. And which really the better way to look at it is if you're not raised as the gender you identify as then and forced to be the other yeah, and forced to be the other. And that's the other school of thought. The other mm-hmm. school of thought is that because Angela was forced to be Angela, Peter was forced to be Angela. There is the thought to be that it, and it's, it, that's the weirdly positive one because mm-hmm. it's like, look, this is an example of why we shouldn't do that, you know, because it does have these damaging effects on people. Granted, not everyone becomes a homicidal maniac, but it, the effect is still there that is damaging and hurtful and bad. And we don't, we shouldn't be doing it, but likewise, there is a smaller school that does look at this movie as an example of a great example and a great talking point to get these issues discussed. And it's like, I can't argue with that. <laughs> it gets you talking. It does get you talking. It gets the issue out there and it gets you talking about it. But now, a weird, weird thought popped into my head. Imagine you get this ending and you get like Willem Dafoe to be under the mask because Willem Dafoe would do it. And okay, I know where you're going with this, Mike. <laughs> and, and can you imagine? I think she's 13 in this. <laughs> like Peter having a gigantic dick. <laughs> Willem Dafoe, for people who don't know, it's like Milton Berle. He is, apparently has this gigantic cock. <laughs> like they had, like he did full frontal nudity in a movie before, and they had to reduce it 
like through editing because it was distracting. <laughs> right. It's like yeah, it's like Defoe, Milton Berle, and then like Michael Fassbender apparently also is like a huge hog. And like Leonardo DiCaprio apparently is a gigantic hog too. Like it, it's it's yeah, I that would be a bit much. Like you kind of have to have the cold drunk dude that's like just kind of reduced to like child size for lack of a better word, you know, because these two well Angela slash Peter is supposed to be kind of at the age of puberty because that's one of the themes of this movie that because she hasn't gone through puberty and gotten her boobs like Judy has in this, the bully Judy or Meg or some of the older Judy's death. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, we'll get to that too, but (laughs) like it's, it's rough, but because they have, become quote quote unquote become women you know they've they've grown they've gotten puberty they've gotten boobs and all that they're kind of like they become bitches basically like because of this and then they look down on her because she's not like that and obviously in every one crazy summer teen summer camp movie that has to happen and it's always the girl that over over winter break or whatever got boobs came back this year hot all that and for for them to address that in this movie <clears throat> and then have the twist at the end, you kind of have to have like the pre-puberty penis situation going on. Like you can't there granted there is hair there that is covering up a lot of things, but I think that's probably more for getting it passed as an R-rated movie because if it was bare like hairless i think that would somehow be so much worse (laughs) that would be so much worse because yes technically both are child pornography but that would be so much worse child pornography you know can we also talk about the counselor who's might as well be hanging dong all movie with how short his shorts are oh i thought you were gonna say counselors because that's the other thing of this movie the other queer side of this movie is when you look at it, it's it fights all of the stereotypes and cliches of 80s slashers. In 80s slashers movies, it was always the women that were being naked, the women that were having sex, the dudes, you only saw butts, and that was a if that's what you got. The women were always the ones that were exploited and gratuitous. In this movie, the women never get they never get the only time one's even naked is meg in the shower and we only see her from the shoulders up there's that's nothing. because they I, partially because they went with like actual age for the characters with the actors yeah yeah but all the men all the boys are all well because it's the 80s we don't know what age they were but they look like college guys essentially Mm -hmm. but they get naked they get full-on naked and go skinny dipping we're getting full-on ass shots multiple ass shots Mm -hmm. they are constantly in their short shorts and they're in like their tiny tees the one dude who's like long island rick garris that like (laughs) that is like the camp counselor who's just jacked all of this points to like beefcake men I'm objectifying men here. This is what we're going for, for boys. The women are just there. They just happen to be there. And aside from Judy and Meg, all of the women and Angela, really, all of the other girls at this camp have very short, like, 80s haircuts. They almost look like like boys from a distance. 
and they're almost coded as boys too. And it's, it's very, very strange because every other sleepaway camp type movie, like one hot American summer, which makes fun of this heavily in, in that movie and every other summer camp movie. We got to do, we have to do a theme where it's like, Maybe just a week of it, because I can't think of that many examples, but it's, like, all-star casts before they were all-stars. Yeah. Like, and get, like, Wet Hot American... Like, the two that come to mind are Wet Hot American Summer and, like, The Outsiders. Yeah, and, like, Singles is a good one, too, and uh, I think Empire Records you could probably make a case for as well. But, um, but all of the, like, horny summer camp movies, like Meatballs, all of this stuff, they all involve... Like, kids just wanting to bang, essentially. This, on the other hand, and in those movies, it kind of objectifies the women. Like, the girls are always the hot ones, and the boys are kind of, like, idiots that just, you know, come in their pants, and that's about it. In this, though, it very much shows that, like, the boys are the focus here. We are looking at the boys as the beefcakes and the ones that we're supposed to be drooling over, and... It's again, it's the opposite of what every 80s slasher movie has ever done. And then again, that reveal at the fucking end, you're like, oh my God. Yeah, and the what face, is this movie? the face that they made the mask out of, <laughs> that, that you could not make a more sinister face. It's terrifying. That is terrifying but that yeah right mike's perfectly doing it right now but the other thing is the sound that's coming out of angela it is this weird like like that it's like it's like a weird growl like death rattle it's so weird it's so goddamn weird and it takes this for all intents purposes silly slasher movie and turns it into the most combustible nightmare fuel you've ever seen in your life the way it closes because you don't get much more talking after that because it's just the only line you get is beefcake rick darris long island rick darris says oh my god she was a boy the whole time (laughs) that's all you hear and you're still focused on that crazy ass face and it just kind of cuts to like a negative color version of it and then just got the movie ends it's just over there and then that that's that face is what's pl- the end credits are rolling over yeah the end credits are rolling over it and i and that's the thing with felissa rose <laughs> mike i need you to make that face for the rest of the week <laughs> but like it's Felissa Rose has made, again, a post-sleepaway movie career out of going to conventions and doing that face in pictures with people. You know, yeah. it's it's like if Macaulay Culkin didn't do anything but Home Alone and only went to conventions and did the face slap aftershave thing. That's the only thing it compares to. It's completely nuts that that is what she lives off of completely insane because at least like robert england has five or six freddy movies to go through yeah. you know <laughs> all right now this movie does have a couple things going for it other than the ending upon reviewing it a i don't i don't think the deaths are bad like the deaths I, are fun the, the only one i question is the beehive the the, the when the guy's you taking can't, the shit. you can't crawl out under the well yeah that or you can't climb over but 
that's a lot of bees for a very tiny hive. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think also, that many bees were inside of it. That made me think of the Ryan George sketch where he's like, let's design uh, public restrooms. He's like, okay, so we'll have like separate sections. And uh, he's like, we're going to have doors, right? Yeah. With big holes at the bottom. So we get to look at people's feet. <laughs> yep. And even in that, the doors are like short in this one. So a taller person could look right over. <laughs> like, there's no way. Like, you don't even have to be super tall. You can just be average height on your tippy toes and you'll yeah. look right over. <laughs> now, uh, the death that gets some flack, well, more of the special effects, where they, it's like the kid that gets pulled under, under the canoe. Yeah, yeah. But I thought the snake coming out made it kind of a cool... It's like, good because it, it kind of obscures the... It's a good dummy. It's a really good dummy. Like, it's a good likeness of his face. Like, it took me a second to realize that it wasn't the kid, you know? It wasn't that little... That actor. It's a really good dummy. And but yeah, I, my question more with that one is like, oh, I thought she drowned him. Why is he cut up? Yeah, and why is he so decomposed after it yeah. only being about 12 hours? <laughs> you really yeah. find him again, you know? It's... Uh, what is in that lake? <laughs> you know. <laughs> then you get the shower one, which is like well, just Meg, knife to the back. Meg gets cut open down. in the back, yeah. Which leads to one of the funniest scenes in the movie when the camp owner is like, "Not Meg." <laughs> well, and th- that's the other thing we have to address about this. This camp owner, this camp owner, I think his name is Mel. I think is the actor, the, the character's name. He, Meg, is getting a shower and getting ready to basically go fuck him. Yeah, and because he's essentially hit on her before and been like, "Hey, come up to my cabin away from everybody else, and we'll have dinner." And she's like, "Hey, remember that den- dinner invite? Is it still up?" And he's like, "Well, yeah, of course it is. I still get erections, and you're still hot. Of course, I'm. It's open." So she goes to get a shower, and that's what she's getting ready for. Even though in the very scene where she's asking if anybody's in the shower, she's clearly been showered and put her makeup on and is yeah. ready to go out, but. Then it's like, okay, we're not even going to address the fact that even though this guy is blaming Ricky for everything with no evidence whatsoever, he beats the shit out of Ricky with no evidence whatsoever. He is trying to cover all of this up for probably insurance purposes because rightly so, this rinky-dink camp, if anybody found out that kids were dying there, would be closed almost immediately. But So he wants to stay in business. He's the one who does get the arrow through the throat with the actually really cool effect. Right, but... He is absolutely fucking these counselors, and is everyone seems to be okay with it. No one even does one of those like, "Oh, did you know Meg was fucking him?" Like, "Oh my god, that's so gross." They're basically like, "Yeah, she was gonna go fuck him. It, it happens." Um, at least it wasn't me. <laughs> you know that kind of situation. Yeah. It's it's like, oh yeah, we're fine. Like, what's the problem? This man's seventy five years old. Meg is eighteen. <laughs> of course they'd be fucking. You know, <laughs> it's like, no, that's not how that works. <laughs> And then the big kill that's off screen, but eh, is probably the most memorable kill. Oh, Judy? Yeah. Were you talking about the sand kids, the, the sand throwing kids that get hacked up to pieces and by a little hatchet in their sleeping bags <laughs> after oh, no, the counselor just straight up leaves about them. Judy. <laughs> Judy, you see the curling iron in the shadow, like backlit with the light. But you don't see the curling iron go inside of her, which if you read it and you kind of put two and two together, she is basically being violated by this hot, by this curling iron. Which, (laughs) Felissa Rose, 
in an interview said when she shoved that curling iron right up her. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's not in the movie. Like none, there's no real implications of that either in the movie. You're just it's just like shown backlit, and then the screaming starts essentially. And which I don't know how else you would kill someone with a curling iron by going behind them with said curling iron and putting it somewhere. Well, so, she's laying on the bed though. That's the yeah. thing. She's laying on the bed, and it's like. Okay, I all right. I think I know how the logistics of this is going to work, but we don't. You don't see anything. You don't hear anything. There's no mention of that's what happened to Judy. You know nothing. But so you do get a scream and her reaching the shadow of her hands reaching up. Right. Yeah. So it's like, what's really going on here? But it's the only thing that realistically could have been happening. I feel like. Yeah. Because, but like, is she can you really from getting touched by the curl? Like, is she getting tortured by getting burnt by the curl? Well, the thing. Can you really die from that? <laughs> Maybe from infection. That quickly? <laughs> is it, I guess. I, I guess with the rate that go keep... pretty far up there to cause some hemorrhaging. Well, yeah. I was just say. I guess with the rate that kids decompose in this lake, she could very much die from infection almost immediately in this camp. <laughs> But the other, so I do think the kills are interesting. I even think, like, even with the beehive, like, the effect yeah. of the bees afterwards is, like... It's a good one. It's a good yeah. effect. Yeah, it is. It is um, the other thing I love is Ricky's just bursts onto the scene yelling 50 curses in a minute. <laughs> yeah, Ricky is the, he's that kid. <laughs> Ricky is that kid that is... Uh... And my favorite back and forth in this is like, what are you, he's like, this guy beats off dead dogs. He's like, eat shit and die, Ricky. Eat shit and live. <laughs> eat shit and live, Bill. <laughs> yeah, during the softball game yeah. between college seniors and 10-year-olds where the 10-year-olds kick their ass. <laughs> now, with the amount of time that softball game takes... I argue that this, much like uh, when we did the month of uh, actually Christmas movies, like where we discussed unorthodox Christmas movies, this is an unorthodox sports movie. Yeah. Yeah, that baseball scene. It's like a 15-minute random baseball scene. Well, technically it's a softball. It's a softball softball scene. But, um, yeah, it does. It takes quite some time. But I think now there is an episode of the podcast, How Did This Get Made, Jason Jason Manzoukas, Paul Shearer, um, June Diane Rayfield, they do this. They do this movie for an episode, and one of them makes the point that they put that probably put that softball scene in there because the movie probably started at seventy five minutes, and they needed to get it to ninety, <laughs> so they made it like fifteen minute long baseball like softball scene <laughs> just to be able to get it up there. Mm-hmm. But this, yeah, it's man, there is there. The kills are good, but then there's the then there's the pedophile cook who dies. Well, is he doesn't die? He is third degree burned. I would say fifth degree burned by the way he bubbles up. He is burned in the most comedic way possible, like almost like a Looney Tunes gag, because the size of the pot that he is pouring salt in. Oh, it's a, that is a pot that you use for brewing beer. <laughs> that or in the goddamn military and you have to feed a platoon, <laughs> you know? That is the only excuse for having this like 500 gallon drum <laughs> that they have on there as this pot that he has to stand on a rickety wood chair to be able to salt. <laughs> and the, if 
if Angela didn't pull the chair out from under him and pull the pot on top of him, that accident would have happened at some point regardless. <laughs> it would have happened. All he had to do was just give it time. <laughs> now, I think the weirdest thing about that scene is he cares enough about what the kids think about the food to add salt to whatever he's cooking. Yeah, right. Yeah, whatever the hell he's cooking in there. He's going for taste on that. That's, I was watching the Dead Meat uh, Dead Meat YouTube channel, the Kill Count, for this movie. And he's like, when the scene where he, uh, the counselor brings her in to see to go talk to the cook and see what she would like to eat, he's like, I don't know if he's just being a genuinely good guy who is horribly, horribly naive, or if he's just feeding her to the pedophile that is the cook. The way that guy's characterized, he is just horribly naive because yeah. he is one of the worst actors in the movie, but he gives one of the better performances somehow because of that, because he's so like genuine. Like you almost think that this guy might be a real camp counselor. You know? they, just he's, he's showed, just so... they just told him he was working at camp and he's like, what the fuck is going on here? Right. He's just so genuinely like. He's like a big dumb idiot. He's just genuinely like concerned about all this shit. And it, but then like, it's almost like in between sets in the gym, he has to be this camp counselor because this dude is fucking jacked. <laughs> he is like Arnold Schwarzenegger, like Mr. Olympia size. And but he's he like, might four as well be down the whole movie with how short his shorts are. Right. Like he's bringing Hoochie Daddy shorts to a whole new level. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. His ball, he's kicking his balls around, you know. Well, if the roids, you know, didn't shrink them up to the size of peas, but which they didn't, I see them. <laughs> right. And then, then there's just some of these like perfectly eighties moments in this show. And obviously aside from the whole fact that there is the, the Baldies line, like the pedophiles line, like all his lines, they would only fly in like an 80s movie essentially and then or they would be made fun of in a wet hot american summer parody of an 80s movie and then all of the like camp counter stuff and then there's the line and i can't remember who says it one of the count one of the campers comes right up to angela and just goes hey angela how come you're so fucked up like what's your problem <laughs> it's like, <I> wow <laughs> No, no filter whatsoever on this one. <laughs> I think my favorite line in the whole movie, actually, it's just guy off screen yells, what the hell? There's a lot of good like off screen ADR <laughs> and like it's it's so good. But then there's Paul. Now, Paul is our he's he's Ricky's best friend. He is uh, the one that gets Angela to start talking. Now, again, we haven't even addressed this. Felissa Rose's performance for the first half hour of the movie is staring silently. She is completely mute. She just stares. She doesn't even blink. And then this kid, Paul talks to her and she actually says like, good night to him. That's the first word, like 34 minutes into this movie. The best part is he has one of these lines. Now these kids, again, they're like 13 years old. He comes up and he goes, yeah, me and Ricky, we go back a long time. We've been best friends for almost three years now. It's like, oh, holy shit, three years? Wow. You guys, that was what? You were, what, 10 when you met then? It's like, yeah, you go back real far. (laughs) Now, my real question here is if she has been raised as Ricky's sister, essentially, like in the same home as Ricky, would she not already know, Paul? You would think. You would think. And I think there is a question. I think someone briefly does allude to the fact that why is this her first time at camp? You know, like, why is this her first time there? If Ricky's been going there for a couple years, 
and she's been there. She's been with them for like six years, I think it is. No, it's eight years. I'm sorry, it's eight years. That's the time difference between the beginning of the movie yeah, and the start of this. Carpenter's dream. Flat has a board and needs <laughs> and needs a screw. Yeah, oi, <laughs> again, oi. <laughs> what are the what eighties? <laughs> Wonderful eighties we had right there. And and then there's the cop. Now the cop that comes to investigate the um what is it it's the drowning murder right it's it's the the fake mustache cop well yeah 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 when later in the movie he has the blatantly fake mustache because he had shaved and didn't know they were going to be doing reshoots so he has that horrible fake mustache now wait we forgot to bring something up with reanimator which is the poor security guard that just goes he sees the scene he sees a head splatter next to him he's just like i don't get paid enough i'm out (laughs) Well, there's also the implication that whenever he goes on break, when they enter the the morgue, he's going to jerk off because <laughs> he always takes like the Playboy with him or whatever it is. And yeah, a lot of weird like the '80s again were a weird time where like like jokes or not even unspoken jokes or unspoken plot points involve somebody jerking off, you know. <laughs> but in the, with this cop, when he first, I think he first shows up after the kid drowns. When he first shows up, Mel, the camp owner, is, like, so hostile about it being an accident. He's like, it's a fucking accident, right? It's a fucking accident, right? This cop should be like, okay, everyone, you can clear out. No, 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 Mel, 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 come here, come here. How much insurance money are you trying to recoup here? What's going on? You're being real fucking suspicious, man. You Something is off here. We need to discuss this in depth with a detective, an insurance investigator, something like that. Why is that girl over there a guy? You know, it's, it's why do you have this murderous child standing next to you? Why are you beating this other child? Why are you fucking this counselor? And Mel goes full on double fist pounding. He's pounding him like fucking Caesar in fucking Planet of the Apes. You know, he is going to town like a gorilla on this guy. And there is no way that Ricky survives this. And yes, Ricky survives. We don't know his fate, but he survives that beating. So either this kid is that tough or Mel is that weak. <laughs> because they- Which, Also, can we talk about how Mel looks like Mick Jagger's like off-brand cousin? <laughs> he looks like Mick Jagger's old corpse is what he looks yeah. like. If Mick Jagger was like a Boca Raton like retiree, that's what this guy looks like. <laughs> it's bad. I'm glad I'm not the only one who thought he looked a little bit like Mick Jagger. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. His mouth is huge. It is a gigantic mouth. Mick Jagger. That's his name. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then, then there's another line I'm reading here, and it's Judy has it. Because Judy obviously has to be the bully. When she says, she goes, Angela, how come you don't take showers with us? You queer or something? Okay, A, Judy, wouldn't that make her more prone to take showers with you if you think she yeah, what? <laughs> Like, don't you think she'd want to see you naked? Yeah. That's what you're implying here. <laughs> or are you using queer in the sense that, like, the 50s used the word queer? Like, oh, that's queer, as in that's weird, you know? <laughs> like, what an odd thing. <laughs> I don't know. I think the 80s were just so sexually mixed up that, you know, what's, I mean, 
you could have gay sex and be like, come on, dude, that's queer to just stand over there and not watch. Yeah, why are you being so gay? It's like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? The 80s were just that that out there. Well, that's the thing. Like, they were so open yet so close because of Reagan. Like, Reagan was making everybody so conservative in their closet, yet everyone was fucking in the 80s. Everyone was so goddamn horny in the 80s. It was this weird time to be alive. And in the 90s, Everything got worse because everyone was afraid of the AIDS that everyone got in the in the eighties, kept <laughs> spreading in the nineties. But at the same time, they're like, "Oh, I guess if we got condoms, we can fuck anybody we want." And then, of course, you fast forward a little bit, and Marvel was like, "You know what? No more sex at all ever." And everyone's society was like, "Oh, I guess you're right, Marvel. Why not?" <laughs> so, now for re- just for reference, if you're curious about what sexuality was like in the eighties, just watch Dancing in the Streets, the music video with Mick Jagger and David Bowie. Yeah, and then do a little, just do a little research on those too. <laughs> you want it now, and that's not, it's not me. I am a straight guy, but I would love to have just been sitting in the corner of that room when that three-way took place. <laughs> to be like, what's going on here? <laughs> this needs to be documented like, for history. <laughs> I'm witnessing history, but I don't know if I like it. <laughs> right. It's like, I don't, am I into this? I don't know. <laughs> it's kind of like whoever's watching gender snaps. This, but I'm you know? happy I'm here. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Whoever's watching gender snaps, they're just going, this is, I'm feeling something. It's something's moving, you know, <laughs> but like you're watching that through are like, yep, this, this is doing something. I'm not sure what, but something is happening here. <laughs> something certainly is happening here. And with it, but with this movie, there's two things. There is a pretty great misdirect in this movie. It's right before Judy dies where we get the killer backlit in the doorway. And it's very obviously Ricky with an Angela wig on. And it's like, okay, good. If you're paying close attention with, I guess in the eighties, the high definition wouldn't have been there, but on a high enough definition TV, you can see that it is very much the actor who plays Ricky. Yeah. And it's like, okay, good misdirect because it turns out being Angela. But then at the end, when Angela is found right before the big reveal, She's found sitting naked, cradling Paul in her arms. And what you see is he's naked as well because they were going to go skinny dipping. She's holding his head, singing this weird song. And then you get closer, you find that she's holding his decapitated head. Mm -hmm. The question is, though, did Paul deserve to die? I don't think he did. Because he's the only one that actually like apologized to her and like was like seemed genuinely apologetic for being a dick, you know? I, I'm not so sure he deserved to die, but he he was pushing the bounds of come on, Paul, no means no. To a certain extent, but even after he did kiss her, his first thought is basically like, oh my god, I'm sorry, don't be mad at me, you know? But like, they earlier he was very apologetic about it. But as it got later and he was like trying to grope her and whatnot, he's like, come on, come on. And then he was like wearing her down to finally. But is he really trying that hard to wear her down though? Because he, the way he's trying to wear her down is basically by being apologetic, but that's because she's not talking to him. He wants to like be friends again, I think, because that seems to be his kind of character. Like he can't have her being mad at him. He just wants to be friends. Mm Mm-hmm. But then what he what she's really mad at him for is when Judy kisses him. Yeah. And she sees it. And of course it's that classic, like she sees the kiss but doesn't see Paul be like, fuck off, Judy. What the hell? 
like it's and it's after that where he apologized for all that shit like i don't know i don't think paul deserved to die i think there are other people there are a couple other like those girls that maybe you could have gotten certainly the other boys that threw the water balloons at angela could have died as well like some of those dudes needed to die (laughs) but (laughs) she also killed four-year-olds that threw sand at her yeah yeah that i gotta respect the homicidal rage that angela slash peter possesses because it can go from full-on bullying like judy and water balloon guy to just kind of throwing sand on your feet you know just vaguely throwing sand on your feet as you were as you're led away by your cousin like i should say i'm just going with her because it's an actress that plays her so i've just been going as her for my to simplify things for me yeah whatever i mean (laughs) i guess i'm being technical (laughs) but i guess them they them probably would be the proper well, we don't know how Angela identifies. She never says, you know, she never, she never tells us how she identifies. Um, but yeah, it's, and of course, since we haven't really mentioned her, we, we did promise to that aunt, the eccentric aunt that is yeah. res- essentially responsible for all of this. It's her fault that any of this happens. And the actress's name was Desiree Gould. It's basically her, her only role on film ever. And she's like, so when she talks top. about the physical, she's like, I'm a doctor. Because right. everyone knows I'm a doctor. <laughs> no, 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 they wouldn't like that at all. She does her own like stage asides, like yeah. in her own like dialogue. It's so weird. It's like when Jim Gaffigan does his jokes and then pretends to be the audience right afterwards. It's like that, <laughs> except she's her own conscience. <laughs> That's like, I'm trying to think of even something to compare her to but i just can't i can't it's she is one of those characters and it's one of those characters that makes a that always appears in a great cult classic movie like there's always the one (laughs) i thought of something i thought of something to compare her to have you ever seen the episode of south park uh, it's like but the Butters' very special episode where Butter fi- Butters finds out that his father goes to a uh, gay bathhouse and tells his mom, and his mom goes totally insane after learning this information. No, I, I can't remember it. No. So she's like, clean, clean, I have to clean. Everything's so dirty, I have to clean. Clean Butters. Kill butters? <laughs> no, I haven't seen that one. <laughs> She's <laughs> and butters has no idea what's going on, and she like drives him down to a river, and she's like, "Butters, as a good mother, I can't leave you with a sexual pervert. Or a good mother could never leave her son with a sexual pervert if she was going to kill herself." And butters goes, "Well, I guess that makes sense." <laughs> And then she goes, she gets out of the car and puts it in neutral and lets it just drive into the river and ends up just floating downstream where Butters gets out. (laughs) And she goes back to kill open then the whole situation comes around where it's like the she blames quote unquote some Puerto Rican guy. Oh, okay. And then the the Ramses come in and Yeah, that's ringing a bell. I do remember that. Yeah. But no, like, but the way that Desiree Gold talks, 
reminded me, like speaking of South Park, reminded me of the woodshop teacher, like when his yeah. wife, like he has like the hallucinations what? or whatever of his this wife. Is the second time that the woodshop teacher has come up on one of our episodes, which isn't a lot, but it's kind of shocking that it's happened twice. It's 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 too much for what it is. Yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. And like, that's kind of like that like sing song way that she talks. Like that's that's what it reminded me of because she's so in this movie she's a character like she's such a Watch me character play, Richard. <laughs> right yeah and like and in the end this movie she's such a character where everybody else is just like a version of themselves that's just well basically themselves that's just saying lines like the only other character in this movie is angela like felissa rose plays a character in this movie everybody else just seems to be themselves except for desiree gold who plays the ant she is completely I don't, so apparently the girl who plays judy is actually extremely nice and she was so happy to play like the bitch in a movie of course. And she's like i actually get to be mean and not feel bad about it yeah i mean and that's the case with like all all people that play like good bullies like William Zacka, apparently nicest dude in the world. His character is a complete piece of let shit. Let me just say this. If I could pick one person in Hollywood to have a beer with, I'm not sure if it would be Billy Zapka, but it, he would be in the top five. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, like, you know, for one of my friend's uh, 40th birthdays, his wife decided she wanted to get him a cameo. And we got it from Tom Wilson, uh, you know, Biff, Back to the yeah. Future. We gave him some... She get She texted us like the group of friends of like all my friends we all gave like a whole bunch of stuff that we wanted him to say dude gave us like a 10 minute cameo fill- using all the stuff we had worked it in perfectly but was like as biff basically and it was so amazing and i'm thinking to myself i'm like this dude is such a great guy but he plays such a great asshole too you know it's like it's so weird because then you hear the people like like alec baldwin plays a great piece of shit but alec baldwin is a piece of shit in real life you know it's like he doesn't have to act far from what he is like kevin spacey plays a great asshole on film great asshole in real life you know tom wilson bill zapka great assholes on film but amazing dudes in real life you know it's the complete opposite of what it is so when you hear of like like on-screen bullies that are like actually real nice people in real life you're like oh i guess they're actually actors who would have known <laughs> you know it's so weird that they would that they would be actors and good at their job but yeah so for judy to turn out to be actually nice it's it's not shocking but the way she performs in this movie it's kind of shocking that she considers herself an actual actress yeah because everyone else is by no means an actor in this movie. It is terrible, but it is one of the legendary cult classics. Like if you uh, have yeah, not sure. if you have not if you're if you call yourself a fan of horror movies and have not seen Sleepaway Camp, you can stop calling yourself a fan of horror movies until you see it. You know, it's it's absolutely completely insane. It it's one of the craziest goddamn movies I've ever seen and it's all because of the last three minutes of the movie. <laughs> the leading up to that is just a cheap, shitty 80s horror movie. And then that reveal happens. And oh my God, if a movie could ever have longer legs because of an ending, <laughs> I don't think I don't think that movie's been made yet. 
It's it's like this and six cents. That's yeah. about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like the ending of this movie is so legendary that yeah, I can't think of another movie that just sheerly off the ending. Like the whole movie was not good, and then the ending ended up giving it life. Yeah, I mean, because even like Six Sense, it's a good movie yeah. <laughs> up until the twist, and then that makes it even better, you know. Yeah. But it's yeah, this movie, it's oh wow, like, and it, you'll see it when we do our post about it because I'm using the face that Angela makes as her square in our post. Yeah, just that sideways look, that sideways green screen face thing. It's it's I don't know how she did it. Like it's almost a face that Mike's been trying most of his episode. He can't quite get it. It's just yeah. a face that only I think Felissa Rose can make. <laughs> yeah, I think so. But that has been our first week of cult classics. So Mike, should we even bother telling people where they can find us on the internet? Uh, we'll go on social media at the least and tell people to subscribe on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Facebook, so you give us a follow Mike. on Facebook and Instagram at Happy Hour Films Podcast. Uh, reach out. Uh, we we'll, we are pretty good with interacting back with our fans. Uh, go on YouTube. Give us a like. Give us a subscribe. We are trying to get our legs on YouTube and uh, might be breaking out into a couple more series because right now we're still doing our uh, Ross makes me watch. I make Ross watch. <laughs> Yeah, we'll figure something out, or else it'll turn into uh, Mike Why makes Ross watch anime every week <laughs> until until he goes homicidal like Angel <laughs> and kills How everyone he knows. We'll send Ross down the anime rabbit hole. We'll start him with something easy and just get weirder and crazier. <laughs> right, which actually would totally have the opposite effect because, like, the easy show Ross would be like, "This is boring. I don't know why I'm watching this. I hate this." And then we get the Devil Man Cry Baby where people are getting ripped apart and ross is like this is fucking metal i like it yes <laughs> finally <laughs> the good shit <laughs> you know but yeah it's yeah that's how i work but yeah i mean ugh. but it's yeah it's, uh, whatever so yeah you know, on youtube obviously you know and comment on youtube i know that most of the time people saying comment on youtube that's a just asking for it you know but this is the genuine case how wrong we are (laughs) this is a genuine case where i want to hear from you maniacs you know i definitely want to hear from you we feed off of toxicity that's right i don't care i don't give a shit none of the words you say matter to me at all (laughs) it does not matter i would love to again if it's on you since you're on youtube i want to hear from you specter files and cannibals (laughs) since you haven't done it on facebook i know you'll do it on youtube i want to hear from you there you know So flood our videos with your anime spectrophiles and all that. And maybe tell me why, if you listen to this episode, why a waifu isn't a furry. How about that? Well, a waifu <laughs> can me. be a furry, but not all fur- <laughs> Not oh. all waifus are furries. Okay, so it's like all pedophiles have mustaches, but not all people with mustaches are pedophile situations. Sort of. Gotcha. <laughs> all right. So... That said, we do have another week. That we have another three weeks that we have to do for uh, Cold Classics. Next week, though, we're doing... Okay, well, this one is another one where I think for the next three weeks, we're going to get into some more popular movies. The next one is three popular... Three movies that people have seen and heard of because we're doing Boondock Saints, The Warriors, and Escape from New York. We're going to do that one as well. So we're getting into Snake Plissken and uh, Warriors come out and play yeah. 
and we're then, also kind of sticking to themes to a degree with our uh, weeks, kind of. Like, this is kind of a horror week. Next week is kind of an action week. Kind of. Yeah, kind of, kind of. The then, third uh, week is kind of an anti-consumerism week. Kind of, yeah, and half a Mike Judge week. <laughs> Two-thirds of a <laughs> Mike Judge week. And uh, and then the last one is just classic. Everything else. <laughs> the, well, the last one is the classics. It's yeah. It's the legendary ones. And I don't want to spoil that final week before we get to it, but you can you can bet that a certain part of a house shows up. <laughs> that's that's the hint I'll give. A part of a house shows up. It's uh, shows up probably as our as our capper for that one. But um, so next week, Boondock Saints Warriors escape from New York, and until that time, I have been Ross Bacon. I've been Mike McWiggin. And we'll see you guys next time. So long.